Hey, hey, good people. This is Common Conversations. This is your boy, Gallagher. And guess what? Missy's with me again because we said we were going to continue doing these podcasts for the remaining of the year. And she said, Miguel, you have to do the intro and then I'll just slap you and jump in. So this is kind of like WWE, WWF tag team. And she's got a really <laughs> hard slap, good people, because, you know, sometimes when we're talking about equity and justice in our community, we just need to smack the hell out of somebody mm-hmm. um, just to get them to wake up. And I think the conversation that we're going to have today with Ashley is going going to be amazing. I hope that few folks, no, not even few folks, a lot of folks get a nice slap. And then we also gain some um, some folks who say, hey, we want to slap too. And then we can all start growing and figuring out how we live together without trying to control each other, oh, right? that's such a novel uh, idea. Man, right. Imagine. So check it out. This is the new podcast. It is called Common Conversations, The Move Forward, uh, The New Hope. And we still, well, maybe we have, I don't know, we're going to find a lifesaver out there in the world. It's not in the console as we're speaking now, which means I might do it in edit. So if you hear this part in edit, know that there's a coming. Um, (laughs) But there's that part. So Missy and I decided we were going to sit down, get down and do the darn thing. I said I'd be on my best behavior to a degree and I have two brilliant women in front of me. So my mom would, you know, treat me badly um, if I do something badly. So (laughs) Missy, what's good? Friend, what is going on with you? Living like a king. Oh, same Uh, except, you know, the queen. Oh, well, there it is. Let's go. So, well, let's just remove that. We're just living like gods. There you go. There you go. I feel I feel that. No masculine. Oh, that's still a masculine and feminine position, right? Can't be because I could be a goddess. Yeah. Mm. But I just saw Thor and Valkyrie, who is a female presenting character, is the king. Okay, let's get it. I, right? Let's go. I can live with that. I could be the king. All right, yes. There you go. I'll be the queen? I like it. I All like right. It. Always. Done. Flipped. <laughs> so who do I mean? So we got a we got a brilliant guest over here. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna let you just bring her to the table yes. so that the the world of those who are listening to us today can get just filled right. And so whatever day you're listening to this, whether it's today or the aliens have taken over 20 years from now, and they're like, oh, let's listen to a podcast to see what was happening in Southern Indiana. It's here. Could happen. Could happen. Absolutely. So friends, today we have with us Ashley Jacobs, and Ashley, I've had the pleasure of spending time with multiple spaces, actually with our good friend Dan Cannon, who we have spoken with, has brought us into shared spaces. Ashley is the operations director for the Kentucky Health Justice Network. Also, side note, this is supposed to be Ashley's vacation week, and we are currently almost exactly two weeks from Indiana going into legislative special session to speak on reproductive rights. So, you know, we have nabbed her on her uh, vacation. So thank you, Ashley, for giving up some time to spend with us today. No worries. I'm glad to be here. So tell us a little bit about you. So I am the operations director for Kentucky Health Justice Network, and we are a reproductive justice organization in Kentucky, but we also support people in um, Southern Indiana. Since there are no uh, abortion clinics in Southern Indiana, people still come to Kentucky for their care. Yeah. And so I spend a lot of my time doing abortion and abortion related things. I um, wish I had a better hobby. Like sometimes I joke that abortion is my whole personality because like this is my week off. And like I was telling you all earlier, um, I was like, oh, I'm going to relax and spend some time just like chilling out. And so I bought two books that were abortion related. So it was like (laughs) one was like when abortion was illegal from the 1800s to 1973. And the other one was the turnaway study. And it was about the impacts of people who um, it was a book that was done over 10 years, a study that was done over 10 years for over, I think they said a thousand participants on the impacts of if you were able to have an abortion or not have an abortion. So it's a really interesting book. It's very rooted in academia, but it's, it's pretty good so far. Sounds very relaxing. Yeah, so so relaxing. Yeah, friend. 
<laughs> I'm not very good at relaxing. I hear you. I am 100% right there with you. I'm trying to be better. We talk a lot about self-care in my spaces and ooh, I don't have a, I never have a good story. Like, never. I planned a rally, but um, so right. friend. Is the beginning of a good story? I planned a rally. That's always, that's the beginning of my story this weekend. I accidentally planned a rally. I love um, that for you. <laughs> so Ashley, tell us in this space, this podcast is all about telling the stories that are not getting told. And juxtaposing that with what stories are we telling ourselves? I fully believe that we have to tell ourselves that good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. And that's what helps us sleep at night. And that at the end, you know, we live happily ever after. But there's a lot of gray in this world. So let's talk about that gray. Let's talk about the stories that we are telling ourselves to sleep at night about those who are seeking abortion services. Um, I think a lot of people have their own like ideas of what abortion looks like and what abortion access looks like. Um, and I don't think they realize like how difficult it is to obtain. That's like one of the biggest things that I don't think people understand. Like in Kentucky, there are two clinics for the whole state and they're both located in Louisville, about two miles from each other, which they also serve a large population of Southern Indiana as well, because the closest abortion clinics in Indiana are Bloomington and Indianapolis. And so I don't think people really realize like how hard it is to obtain an abortion. Like it's not like, oh, I'm just going to wake up and get my abortion today. You know, there are 24-hour informed consent laws. And depending on where you go, um, whether you go to the Planned Parenthood or the independent clinic, um, EMW, the way they've interpreted like the ultrasound laws are different. So you may have to take two visits if you go to Planned Parenthood or one visit to EMW. So I I don't think people really understand like how difficult it is to obtain an abortion. And so they think that you can just like wake up one day and decide to have an abortion. And that's just like what you're going to do for the day. And and, like there are a lot of barriers that people face. Like abortions are not cheap in Kentucky. They're cheaper in Indiana, which is interesting, but um, they're still expensive. I mean, you're still looking at in Indiana between 500 to about 900 dollars and in Kentucky you're looking at about 750 to 2000 depending on how far along you are. So it's not a cheap procedure. So when we're talking about people who are seeking abortion services, kind of can we speak to what stories? So I know for instance I hear these women just using abortion as birth control and like you said it's not easy to get. So that's not what typically people are doing, especially in later term abortions that these people like they've just decided like we said they they just don't want to be pregnant anymore. They've done this for 38 weeks and they're done. Yeah, so To obtain like a second or third trimester abortion is probably one of the hardest things that you can do because there are only five clinics in the entire country that actually do abortions after 24 weeks. And they're located in Colorado, New Mexico, D.C., Maryland. And I think there's there's two in Maryland. So so even to like obtain a second or like a late second or a third trimester abortion is nearly impossible to get to in that fact. It's also very expensive. It can range anywhere between seven to $15,000. Oh yeah. And then you have to go through like a, um, depending on how far along you are, if you're over 27 weeks for most clinics, you have to actually go go through a screening process with the doctor for the doctor to even determine whether or not it's something they want to do. So even if you got to like 28 weeks pregnant and you were like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore, like under that highly unlikely circumstance, like you would still have to go through like a screening process with the doctor where the doctor would have to say yes or no, whether or not they're going to actually perform that abortion. So you don't even really get that far along and just be like, oh, my bad. Right. And so the stories that we're being told is that's the norm. That's what's happening all over the place. Right. Exactly. And you know, like part partial birth abortions and like 
that whole thing. Yeah, exactly. That's not a thing that happens in real life. So what what is the norm? So majority of people actually have an abortion before they're 12 weeks pregnant, between 6 and 12 weeks. They're about 95 to 97% of abortions are performed within that time frame. And majority of abortions are actually done through medication abortion. And then I want to say less than 1% is actually in your like late second to third trimester abortions because they are so difficult to obtain. You have to have a fetal diagnosis for it to be like approved. Yes. Well, let's speak to that. So we're talking then about women who are probably have a name, a nursery, Mm -hmm. a dream for this child and something's happened. So you're saying for that 1%, less than 1% that they have to have a fetal diagnosis. Speak to that. Like, what do you know about the impact on these women? You actually give birth when you have an abortion that late. They schedule an induction because a lot of people want to have funerals for their for their babies that are that far along or they want to hold them one time. So, but a lot of people who are that far along, they do actually give birth to their child so they're able to to have a proper funeral, to hold it one time because you don't get that late in pregnancy and then just decide like, eh, this wasn't what I wanted to do after all. Like, so let's dive into that deeper. So now that we are in Kentucky in a post-row world and in Indiana, depending on the date of release of this, possibly <laughs> to, to be transparent, again, we're two weeks away at this point from the legislature deciding what's going to happen in Indiana. But in a post-row world, what happens to those women now who are carrying children into past their second trimester into their third? What do we do? That's a very hard question to answer because they will, they'll just have to travel out of state and pay a lot of money for these procedures. Cause a lot of times you can't have them done in hospitals. Like even now, like pre-row, like you couldn't, a lot of them couldn't be done in hospitals. They had to be done in abortion clinics, depending on what state you lived in. Now, if you lived in like New York or California or somewhere very progressive, like it's different. They care a lot more. Um, but like true. In, yeah. And in Kentucky and Indiana, you would have definitely, you would definitely have to travel to one of the few clinics in the country that do provide those services. And it's going to cost a lot. It's not cheap. It could cost anywhere between seven and $15,000, depending on how far along you are. And like I said, you're not home, you're not near your home. So you have to look, you have to have hotel stay, you have to have travel. Um, and it's a five-day procedure. It's not an in and out thing. It's not like a one or two day thing. It's it's involved. So it's, it's, it's for, you know, a guy who will never experience having or having to go through an abortion you know, when I hear this, I'm hearing you saying this is clinical, right? This is something that you don't get to walk into a room and they cut you up and you go home. Like it's like any other surgery that you're going to have. And so there's a lot of care to would-be mom or the woman who's going through this journey. And so, and I'm hearing now, like in the state of Kentucky and Indiana, okay, so post row, you have to go as far as maybe Illinois. Is that, is that, you know, to, to go through this, which means now, You've got an extended situation outside of your medical? Yes. So do we expect to see our daughters and our wives and our sisters and our mothers have, I mean, are we expecting a higher mortality rate because of what the federal government has just done? Absolutely. Indiana and Kentucky already have very high maternal mortality rates 
um, as it is. Um, and I don't foresee that going down by removing abortion access for people because you're going to see a lot of like hospitals and stuff. Instead of consulting doctors on what the laws look like, they're going to be consulting lawyers. We've already heard some stories out of Texas. People have had atopic pregnancies and they were stories of atopic pregnancies and they were unsure on how they could actually like handle the procedure. And atopic pregnancy is very dangerous to the pregnant person. And so doctors had to consult with the lawyers to say like, at what point can we intervene and actually do this procedure on this person to like remove this very dangerous pregnancy from their fallopian tubes because some states, and I don't remember which ones right off the top of my head right now, have played with or toyed with the idea of replanting atopic pregnancies, like removing them from the fallopian tubes and then putting like that would work. Like science doesn't work that way. That's not no. how it is. And so, so I'm just kidding. Man, that's crazy because, you know, my wife and I went through an epitocid. Well, she went through it. I just had the experience of witnessing in that sense. So did you, I just want to make sure I heard you right. They played with the idea. So for people who don't, I guess maybe let's clarify something because there are a lot of folks out here who don't know what an ectopic pregnancy is. And I, I didn't understand it either until it happened. And so for me, what I learned real quick was the baby is formed in the fallopian tube. It, it should be in the uterus. It gets stuck. It starts to develop the, the fallopian tube, then can burst and the woman can bleed out or bleed internally and die, right? And so at this point, it's really about saving, you know, the woman and, and who's who's in distress and not about saving an egg or baby that is forming improperly, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, at that point, apparently, except for this Frankenstein medicine that I've never heard of before, that, again, these are people, a lot often, they want that. If, if you could have done that and moved the cells from the fallopian tube to the uterus, uh, why weren't you doing that before? <laughs> right? Yeah. For those of us who've gone through it, who really wanted that pregnancy, and they were like, oh, too bad, it's got to go. Like, yeah. now they're saying, because there is no chance for that child, the, the cells, to be viable where it is, but now they're like, we'll move it. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, because I know we like, and, and my wife may, you know, punch me in the throat for sharing this. And so I'm going to apologize around the mic, you know, but I, I remember when she got sick, right? Because we took her to the doctors and he was like, oh, just take an aspirin and go home. And so we, I was like, man, that's kind of crazy. She could be pregnant, right? They didn't do, they didn't look, they didn't do any kind of sonogram or anything remote, right? So we took her home. She took a Tylenol, took a shower and we found her on the floor, right? And it's like, oh shit, what is this? Yeah. And you know, I, we totally would have been happy if you could say, oh, cool. We'll, we'll just, there's something that will help you. You know, Squeeze it like you know, actually, what is it? Tube. Yeah, bring the baby to term and, and do these things. But you're saying somebody's out here in the world saying, hey, you know, we can figure this out. We can Frankenstein it. Yeah, like reimplant it into the into the uterus. That's ridiculous. Is, yeah. is, I mean, that's just bad science. It's just horrible science. Yes, absolutely. Wow. And so these are people that we trust, right? These are the folks that we're saying should be writing our policy. These are the folks that we should be going to saying, hey, they're going to, they have our, as a people, best interest at heart. You know, this is where I, you know, for me, I'm like, men, y'all need to stand up because that's crazy. We should be definitely fighting for our daughters, mothers, sisters, wives, sisters, girlfriends, whatever, our women, because that's to have somebody standing in a room playing games with, I mean, I don't, you know, I like my genitals and I don't want anybody saying, you know, we can, we can recreate these for you you or, you know, rarely anything happens to the penis anyway, because it just carries sperm. <laughs> and it's protected. It's yeah. a very protected organ. Yeah. And I think it's ridiculous that we have more protection than women do. Men have more protection than women do. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm curious, and, and I don't know if there's an answer for this, because as you're talking, and I, and I think the federal government 
I think half the time is is flawed anyway. Oh, but only half the time? Just half the times. You know, so, the other half I'm asleep. Oh, yeah. Here you, here you, here you. That's valid. Here you. <laughs> so, but I, I wonder often what can we do locally, right? What can individuals do locally to stop craziness like that? You know, people sitting in a room saying, okay, you're having an apoptotic pregnancy and this is a form of abortion. Or better yet, allowing women just to have the freedom to make decisions within their medical rights and their human bodies. Like, what can we do locally to help? Yeah, so I want to go and say, like, vote is a thing, but also, like, pay attention to who you're voting for. I don't want, like, the blue no matter who thing is really not helpful mm-hmm. at all because mm-hmm. there are, like, anti-choice Democrats. There are anti-abortion Democrats that sit on, you know, in Congress and on in local Mm-hmm. And in federal court, or not courts, federal um, legislators. Legislators, thank mm-hmm. you so much. Yeah. So it's really like pay attention to who you're voting for and like really understand their policies and what their like ideas are on reproductive health and reproductive rights and abortion access. Because like, and a lot of times they don't put it on their website because they can be seen as a divisive issue instead of a healthcare issue. And so, you know, really know who you're getting involved with. And also like, it never hurts to get involved with like your local abortion funds or your local Planned Parenthood. Like if you're, if policy is like your thing, like definitely try to volunteer with your local Planned Parenthood to do like phone banking or, or the local ACLU, I guess for Southern Indiana folks would be ACLU of Kentucky because it's ACLU of Indiana is pretty far away. But I mean, there's probably remote stuff that ACLU of Indiana would, would be able to do. If policy is your thing, like those are definitely two organizations I would encourage people to get involved in. Um, If you wanted to do direct support for abortion access, the Hoosier Abortion Fund has a really great program. They're actually under an umbrella for all options pregnancy resource center located out of Bloomington. And I know that sounds weird because you hear pregnancy resource center. I know, I'm like, oh Lord. And you're just like, no. <laughs> but they're actually like a legit a uh, real pregnancy resource center. A real they have like what? diaper drives and they have a talk line, which is really interesting. Um, where you can call and I love their talk line. So you can call if you're unsure. Like you say so you find out you're pregnant and you're unsure what you want to do. You can call the all options talk line and they'll talk to you about abortion, adoption, parenting whatever that you need to talk about to make your final choice that you you know that you really want and that is really great and that is ran out of the Hoosier Abortion Fund and you can volunteer to work or you can volunteer for that program oh, for that, um, like you could work the hotline yeah you can work their hotline Fabulous. yeah it's I've always said that I'm going to take the training and do it but then I just get too involved in everything else and I haven't gotten there yet right <laughs> but I'm right. going to do it one day it's going to happen <laughs> what was that fund again um it's the Hoosier Abortion Fund or the All Options Pregnancy Resource Center they're kind of like the same one and the same so one thing that I want to go back to is, you know, you mentioned, Miguel, like, well, what could you do? Like, travel to Illinois. But in that, I mean, I know for our, like, for our child or for us, that's what we would do. But I'm thinking as we're looking at everything through an equity lens, how many people that leaves out um, how many families can't afford to travel really anywhere. So even as it stands now, the limited access to clinics in rural Indiana and in rural Kentucky, how difficult that is. But if we talk about those of us who could afford to send our loved ones to travel, what happens for those? So what we know is for the privileged, for those who have resources, abortions will still occur and safe abortions will still occur. What happens for those who don't have those resources? who even getting from Charlestown Road to Grantline Road in New Albany is a struggle. What do we do then? 
Well, that's a good question. And it's really hard to answer because the barriers that everyone faces when you get into that is very difficult. You know, we we as people, <laughs> that's what I'm supposed to say. <laughs> My lawyers would be really mad <laughs> our lawyer, if I was like, we as an organization, we as people are doing our best to get um, the information out about self-managed abortion and what that looks like and how that can be to hopefully avoid any sort of like dangerous abortion things that could happen mm-hmm. like because self-managed abortion is very safe with pills and you can access them through the internet the only problem is with that you know self-managed abortion with pills is not like the answer to everything because you do have to have the knowledge to know that it exists internet access to be able to have it and a safe mailing address to receive it and a safe place to actually do the abortion which isn't always you know you don't always get the perfect situation in that so um so we as individuals we try to get the information out about self-managed abortion as much as possible but sometimes we live in like little echo chambers in our social media so we're just kind of like spouting it to people who already know which is kind of difficult but that that is one of my goals is to get the information out about self-managed abortion as much as possible to avoid any sort of dangerous situations that could play out so in a post-road world we exist in a space where women have or have yeah i'm gonna say this have limited or access to limited quality health care as it relates to maternity is that a good statement to make yeah i would say so Wow, that's asinine. So when when I, I you know I think about this because I have a daughter and and, and, I, and God forbid you know well we all have sex at some point in time right and so you know if her journey is to like boys the likelihood of her getting pregnant is is possible right and at this early stage you know it still would be you know her choice or their choice however however you are in this space whoever's listening you know and if they said man we're too young we don't want to go down this journey where are our alternatives you know to hear that healthcare is now penalized for women is is nuts and and I and I've got to wonder you know in this whole thing like state versus separate separating from federal government and I and I don't know that this is an answer for any of us at this table but I'd love to hear your opinions you know states rights right does does our county have the same rights to change policy within our county regardless of what our state says or it, it, I mean because I'm thinking I live in Clark County we we all live in Clark or Floyd County um and I'm thinking you know if the state says hey it's illegal to have an abortion and we say well fuck you I'm sorry Excuse the language on this one. You know what? I live in Clark County and we're going to enact something that supports our women and gives them the freedoms that all men get. Can we do that? So, Ashley, can you speak to what Jefferson County has been discussing recently? I know some of the mayoral candidates have basically said that's not the job of the police is to investigate women seeking health care. So we are not going to invest our local resources, basically safeguarding all of the women in Jefferson County. I have fear related to that because if it's on the books and it's a kind of not official, if it's an unofficial statement that we are going, we're not going to investigate, but is that true for everyone? Is it going to be true for people of color? Because as a reminder, and as we know that not only women have uteruses and not only women are affected in this, but so if you have a a person of color um, who we know that the system is already kind of stacked against that unofficial policy, what if they feel like it? What if they feel like investigating? So... To, to backtrack on the county laws, the, the downside to that is abortion clinics are state regulated. So it all falls under the state legislature 
regardless. So even if like the Jefferson County, I think it was Greenberg who said Mm -hmm. that, you know, when he was mayor, they wouldn't enforce it. That's great in everything. But if the state says that abortion isn't legal in Kentucky, then it's not legal in Kentucky. And so the, the, the clinics will shut down and that's, so it's it's kind of irrelevant what the mayor says mm-hmm. because so, so then the mayor would have to enact something where he creates lack of a better phrase let's not call it abortion maybe we have to call it something else because so he'd have to create some legalities within his city that he has control of that would allow safe haven yeah and it would and I think it would be very very difficult to do because abortion clinics are state regulated mm. it would be really hard wow. Well, I mean, what we know is in in Jefferson County on that Friday when the decision came down, they shut down immediately. Immediately. Mm -hmm. People were, patients were in the office in the middle of consultation and they had to go. So immediately it became illegal. Yes. And so at that point. In Kentucky because of the trigger law. Yeah. Yeah. So and so now we're we're in Indiana. We're sitting here in, in Floyd County right now. And so we're we're facing that same scenario. The difference between Kentucky and Indiana is Kentucky kind of started this process knowing that what an assumption that role would be flipped. Um and Indiana kind of waited and now they're trying to do special sessions. It, it's interesting how much our elected officials have taken over government with little no insight of the people. You know, that you can call a special session to take over women's rights is bananas. But so here we are, right? And so and Indiana says, oh, it's going to be illegal too. And so we're going to have to shut down abortion clinics. So we're shutting down health care. I think that's really, I, for me, and, and, I, and I know this is a hard stretch because T and I get, and my wife's name is Tia, by the way, if you're listening, you know, we get any, you know, she's always like, Gelly, it's semantics, right? And, and I'm like, so abortion and health care, you know, is it semantics? You know, so we're shutting down health care for women by law, right? So we're regulating health care by law for women in our country, but we're not regulating healthcare for anyone else. Am I, am I understanding this correctly? For like we're not cre- we're not creating yeah. law. So if you don't if you don't have a uterus, you can do whatever you want in this life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Pretty but much. if you're a woman, then wow. So yeah, we should take them all out and put them in front of a firing squad <laughs> um, and rewrite this. This is absolutely bananas that we as people will allow a select few of folks create policy that we would follow. I think it's even crazy that we would follow this shit, right? You know, if a cop decided to investigate, right, a woman or doctor or, or, or whomever for having an abortion, yeah, he should lose his job. The chief should lose their job. We should definitely unelect many of these people if they're judges, they're prosecutors, and they decide to stand on the side of saying, you know, the whole idea of America, I thought was like all people are created equal um, unless we create a law, right? That, that's the new rule. Everybody's everybody's equal unless we create a law and they're, then they're equal above uh, based on the eyes of my law. Yeah. Yeah, we should burn this shit down. <laughs> so tell me... Actually, in Kentucky, because as we know, there are people, and Miguel, I don't know if you knew this, there are people in certain states who have been to jail because of miscarriages. No. Yep. Yeah. yeah, because they there's an assumption that they did something to cause that miscarriage. And even without, and there's really no great way to prove that as someone who's had a, multiple miscarriages. They're awful and terrible. And someone, if someone said, hey, I think you did that on purpose. And, and that's what happened. Two people in the state of Indiana were actually charged with feticide um, after the feticide laws were put into effect. Bebe Schwa and Pervy Patel were two big cases out of Indiana. Bebe Shua um, was pregnant and attempted suicide with rat poison and lost the pregnancy and was charged with feticide um, and was sentenced for a while um, and eventually had their case overturned. And Parvi Patel was suspected 
of a self-managed abortion and was charged with feticide, neglect of a child, and what received like 20 years, but eventually had their case overturned. Um, but yeah, so, and and we would definitely see an increase that in, in a post row world, because if you can just, because Pervy Patel's case, which is wild to me in the first place, is that the OBGYN that she saw at the um, emergency room just happened to be a pro-life OBGYN and suspected and like left the hospital to go try to find where she disposed of the fetus at, like in the dumpster, like, and helped like the police with the investigation, like the ER OBGYN just left the hospital to do this. It's a wild case, but yeah. That is wild. And there are states that already had these laws on the books and some of the laws are even going to limit whether or not people can cross state lines. Right. Um, so for example, if you know you are pregnant and you travel, so Ashley, can you speak to that, what that looks like? So it's going to be really difficult to enforce and, but they're going to try it. I would hope that that would be a case that would make it all the way up to the Supreme Court and says like, you can't enforce that because you can't stop people from traveling out of state for healthcare. But with this court. But with this court, who knows? Maybe they could say, nope, you get to stay at home. Right. (laughs) And again, once you could prove, once medically it's on your chart that you are pregnant, whether or not you can travel is up in the air. Yeah. Wow. So there's regulations on travel. There's regulations on healthcare. So there's a complete control of women mm-hmm. is, is really what we're facing in this country. Tia watches this this crazy show. Um, it's not crazy. It's pretty good. What is it? Oh, my God. I can't think of it. The woman, she was an advertising agency. She was part of Mad Men, and then she's in this new... You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. What's that show called? Handmaid's Tale. Handmaid's Tale, right? So is that where we're headed? Like, I've watched a couple episodes. I don't know a whole lot about it because mm-hmm. it disturbs me. So there's a whole narrative that white women mostly are putting forth that we are now living in that time, that we are living in the Handmaid's Tale. But the original author, actually, all of those practices were practices that had been enacted on black women previously, um, the forced carrying, the birth. So there's a little bit of a, uh, like a cringe about saying that. It's like, because this has already happened to black women. And now white women are like, oh, it's now it's us. So that narrative, but yeah, it's, that's what people are are afraid of. So how do we, and and I know we're we're at this and I'm I'm just more curious again, I'm going to apologize for y'all for the bad language. Uh, you know, but I really don't. <laughs> my thoughts are all over the place, you know, and I'm thinking, man, you know, because I'm feticide. That's interesting. I never knew about it till today. So thank you for educating me. And so now I'm thinking, how do we educate more, right? How do we get information like this to everybody above and beyond standard news? Because I love women, love my mom, love my wife, love my daughter. You know, I host a program for women empowerment, have forever. And but there's so much we do don't know, right? And, and and we talk about this. As much as we we want equality, as much as we want equity, there's someone who doesn't and they're cre- and they have a power and a position to and the ability to to control our society in, in many ways. So how do we continue to educate people on things like feticide, what's happening from state to state, so that we can create a pathway where women both have equal rights as everyone else and at the same time also have access to healthcare, right? Because ultimately I'm hearing really a control of limited to access to healthcare, which we, that's a whole nother topic for all people. But here we've actually seen the laws rolled out. I mean, at this point, I think that there is fear that even certain types of education. So in Indiana, for instance, the only type of sex education that is allowable is abstinence only education, which means you can share none of this. 
because all of this is, you know, what happens if you have sex? <laughs> and um, so the only, according to the Indiana legislature, the only legal form in, in education, in public education, is abstinence-only education. So that leads to more pregnancies, more unintended pregnancies, more teen pregnancies. And depending on your demographic, you're going to have a lot of people with uteruses in Indiana who cannot access their health care, and they don't even really know how they got there in the first place because there was no education to explain it. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I just try to, I mean, one of the biggest things that I like to try to do is just talk about it as much as possible. Like I said, it, sometimes it's difficult because like we live in our own little echo chamber. So we're just kind of like speaking to the void occasionally, but still it never hurts to like just talk about it to everyone as much as possible. Like whether it is about like abortion access or sex ed or, you know, like educate your kids on it so they can tell their friends about it. You know, yes. that, that kind of stuff. That makes a huge, huge impact. So I know that like- one of my daughter's friends was actually able to get an abortion with a judicial bypass because of her. Like, well, because of uh, well, because of her, because of us, you know, that type of stuff. So it's good that like, you know, you're talking to your kids so they can talk to their friends because their parents may not be talking to them about it. And it really, you know, you really just got to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Just talk, normalize it and talk about it. Like I was talking to my kids about regulating, like keeping up with their periods the other day at the kitchen table. And I was like, you know, you guys are going to really need to pay attention because if you don't want to be pregnant, you know, you're going to start having sex one day. And my 14 year old looks me dead in the face. And she's like, if I have sex with cis men. And I was like, okay, <laughs> valid, valid, valid point. Right. Sorry, I brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> but so Ashley, talk to us a little bit about that. There is a, you know, narrative especially on social media right now, about tracking your cycles using period trackers. What's your input on that? Most apps are not safe, but there is one app that was created um, that actually is very safe, the Yuki app, E-U-K-I. E-U-K-I. Mm -hmm. And it's it was actually created, it has um, abortion information on it. It talks about self-managed abortion. Um, it talks about birth control options and it helps you, and, and they don't track or sell your information. It was created by activists, which is a really great app to use. That's the only one that I suggest that anyone use. If you use a different one, please don't. So talk to us about what could happen if you use these other apps. Yeah. So they sell your information mostly and anybody can gain access to that. And so people can find out if you were pregnant, it could be used to criminalize pregnant people or just criminalize people who have miscarriages for suspected abortions. It could be used for lots of really like damaging things. And we try not to, I try to steer people to the Yuki app as much as possible. I think that we lived in a time where we live in a time now that things are happening that people have been telling us were going to happen for a very long time. Yet there are segments of the population who are just now waking up to this. Can you speak to that? How the work that had been done leading up to this, that this didn't surprise many people? Yeah. So when, let's see, was it 2018? I think it was 2018 is when a lot of people in the movement got really nervous about Roe. I mean, Roe has always been the floor to begin with. Like, it's never been the standard. It, you know, abortion was never in the Constitution. It was just your right to privacy to have an abortion if you wanted to, you know, that situation. Um, but when they brought Dobbs uh, versus Jackson's Women's Health Organization to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court took it up, and they asked for a full-on overturn of Roe in that, that's when people got very nervous about it because we didn't know which way it was going to go. Because when June Medical Services versus Russo came out last year, John Roberts had said, 
you know, if you bring us a case that could overturn Roe, it would be considered like in not those exact terms, not those exact words, but that that is what he said, essentially. And then so when Dobbs came to the Supreme Court, people got very nervous about it because they did ask for a full overturn of Roe. And the way the Supreme Court was stacked at the time, it wasn't as bad as it is now, but it was still stacked. Not so great. You know, it could go either way. You know, we we would all been pretty nervous for for a few years Mm-hmm. Um, based just based on those facts. And then as it got closer and then the Alito leak in May really woke up some people, but not nearly as many as it probably should have until Roe was like completely overturned. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So when we're talking about equity, about access to medical care, about keeping people with uteruses safe. You mentioned using the Yuki app, and I know that agencies are not supposed to be hosting information about self-managed abortions, yet individuals can get that information out. Absolutely. Yes, we can. Go ahead. Oh, what else can we do? Oh, I was going to say, you can, um, one of the great organizations that um, puts out information about self-managed abortion is plantsypills.com, um, and they have an amazing array of information about self-managed abortion. So it's really great if people want to check that out. Say that website again? Plantsypills.com. So, Missy, you said that organizations cannot educate, but individuals can. So individuals can come out here and start creating these websites and these platforms and programming to start sharing information. But that's a law that we're going to have to probably protect here soon as well. Well, so that's the question. We have no idea. And again, depending on what time, when this drops and when this is released, as of the 26th, which is the special session, what Indiana looks like, they could be as stringent as complete ban. It could be a six-week ban. It could be a 15-week ban ban. There are people who are concerned things like plan B will be on the line down the road. And that's just access to contraception at that point. But depending on the narrative and the story and the stories that we spin and the stories that are spun, plan B could be taken off the table, which again is just contraception. And there are some types of of IUDs now that people are worried that will come off and, and no longer be available as contraception because of the mechanism by which they work. Right. So there's a lot up in the air about Indiana, but really this nationwide, what's going to happen to our access to even contraception. Yeah, I'll be interested to see if they add, when they do have their legislative session, Indiana, if they do add like aiding and abetting laws to to it like Texas has, mm-hmm. um, because Kentucky doesn't have that yet and Indiana doesn't either, but that has a big effect on abortion funds and how they function because like it could be seen as aiding and abetting an abortion. Like right now it's already difficult. So on June 24th, that Friday, when Roe was overturned and we were, we were able to send people to Indiana for care um, out of Kentucky, which was really interesting because like we talked to some people from of all the, the things right of Hoosier Abortion Fund and we were like we never thought we would be a, a receiving state like this is very wild to us we don't know right. what's going on but um, because of the way the trigger law was interpreted if you lived in Kentucky or Ohio and you were traveling to Indiana for an abortion you could only receive a surgical abortion because they didn't want people bringing the pills back into Kentucky or Ohio because then that's considered an abortion in that state and then the doctors. In Indiana could be held liable. And so, you know, you could only get a surgical abortion in that time frame if you had to travel, which kind of stinks for people because like you're kind of taking like options away from folks like because, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people do choose medication abortions over surgical abortions because they, you know, want to have it, you know, in their home where they're comfortable, that type of stuff. This story that was in the news 
uh, you mentioned Ohio. Miguel, did you hear that there was a 10-year-old girl? And I mean, almost immediately when they, because everyone's going to go worst case scenario and say that's not going to happen. And almost immediately the case presented itself. There was a girl in Ohio who was 10 and she was six weeks and three days pregnant. And those three days put her over and she had to be sent to Indiana. What happens when you can't send to Indiana? And for right now, the doctor could do that. But eventually, what if that doctor is not able to even refer for those services because they will be liable? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot in the air right now and it'll be very, it's very intense to wait it out and see how it's going to like each individual state is going to, to do it. To fall. Yeah. Uh, You know, I'm curious and and I know we've been on here for a while and and we've got to wrap up and it just leads me to more and more questions. And I think about one thing specifically as we're having this conversation, Indiana, Kentucky, the sexual assault and child abuse laws here, right? Our our rates are crazy in Mm -hmm. terms of how many children are sexually abused um, before they even get to middle school, specifically in Southern Indiana and and Louisville, Kentucky. You know, so now we're saying, hey, our children can be raped, right? So these these predators can go out here, rape our young girls, impregnate them, and it's illegal for them to abort this rapist child. Right. (sighs) Wow. So... So now I'm wondering, are we are we increasing the accountability laws to predators, to sexual predators? Are we going to like take a deeper dive into making sure that women in this country are protected? Or is this a is a post row world with the intent of removing protection from women? And so this is this is exactly the plan, the goal, so that, you know, I'm gonna call the people who are helping pass these laws predators. So there is a School of thought, and I'm not going to say where I, if I believe it or not, that a lot of the people who are passing these laws and even bringing them up are very concerned with the reduction of white babies mm. that are coming into the world. And keeping supremacy is, is king, and they know exactly what they're doing, if that is the point. That's interesting. Wow. Okay. It's a, it's a lot. That's a lot. It is a lot. Sorry for 30 minutes being like, Ashley, tell us everything. Oh, I could talk about it for hours longer. Well, maybe we should do like a part two and a part three. Well, I Uh, think after July 26th, we should do a part two because this conversation will change a lot. I mean, I feel like we might be in a time travel situation where people are listening like, we already know. We already know what's happened. But we can't go quietly. Healthcare cannot be limited to us in this way. I will say that there are healthcare clinics, um, Southern Indiana, if you are not aware of reproductive healthcare clinics um, that can provide you contraception, still as far as we know, (laughs) and um, at low or no cost to you. So please, for example, I know for uh, the Hope Care Clinic that is at 1302 Wall Street in Jeffersonville, they are able to provide low to no cost birth control, STD testing, and treatment. And they they are there for you for all of your reproductive health care needs, and I would strongly suggest you call them. And at this moment in Indiana, you do not have to have adult consent for treatment and for care um, if you are a minor. So, again, that's 1302 Wall Street and the Hope Care Clinic. Cool. So, ladies, I appreciate this. I, I, I just, you know, y'all can, I'm going to ask each one of y'all to share um, you know, a, a piece of wisdom as we wrap up. I just want to say this, you know, to the fellas out there in the world, we definitely should be advocating for women, um, women's rights, uh, uterus rights. Is that is that a mm-hmm. good a good phrase? Um, in a post-Roe world, 
is more than we believe it to be. And there are so many, this is a layer cake. And we have to realize that human rights are being unraveled within one law to the next. And we have to make sure that we're protecting our children and seeing things bigger than what they really are. Y'all have informed me and I appreciate it. I think it is crazy that we are allowing laws to say that it is illegal to educate because that's what it is. We are creating laws that says that people cannot and will not have access to healthcare, and that has to stop. And so we as a people have to do better um, and remove folks who would cause us harm. But um, if y'all could leave anything out here for our listeners to take away from, maybe to start doing something different, please do. And then, uh, yeah. Wow. Thank you. I would say that I think that there is, a again, we have to tell ourselves that good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. But what is about to happen will happen to all Hoosiers. And it has already happened in Kentucky that your privilege that has carried you thus far is no longer going to be able to carry you. If you are able to move from state to state, that's fabulous, but that may no longer be an option. That you have to get loud about the things that matter, and this matters. I'm hearing from a lot of white cis men that, oh, there'll be exceptions for these terrible situations, for child abuse. For No, there's not. There are no exceptions. This is going to gobble us all up. And the only ones that will be able to get away are those who have means to do so. And we cannot ignore the large part of the population that has, that this will affect and have no options. Yeah. So what I want to encourage people to do the most part is to talk about abortion access as much as possible to people who will actually listen to you. I know that like sometimes it sounds like that's all I talk about <laughs> if you know me. And it really is because like we're never going to normalize abortion as healthcare and normalize abortion as a medical procedure that everyone should have like agency to and rights to without talking about it and not seeing it as a divisive issue, but as a healthcare issue. Um, so I just encourage people to really like talk about it and just kind of be loud and proud about abortion access. I know it's like kind of a scary time right now with like aiding and abetting laws and like, you know, what is considered, you know, this, that, and the other. But yeah, just talk about it. Just talk about it and say the word abortion. You know, that's like a big thing. Like a lot of people want to whisper it. <laughs> um, and I mean, even people in the movement that are like new to it and stuff, like they still will be like, well, you know, like abortion. And it's just like, it's okay to say it. Like, it's fine. Like, it's it's healthcare. <laughs> right, right. Well, Ashley, if we want to find more and know more about you and the things that you're doing, how do we find you? Um, so you can find me on Twitter if you'd like to. That's fine. I'm pretty loud over there. My username is, oh goodness, it's O-O-H-G-O-O-D-N-E-S-S. And, or you can just learn about Kentucky Health Justice Network, which is where I work at khjn.org. Thank you so much, Ashley. Thank, Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. On your vacation. It's fine. Happy vacation. Yay. <laughs> I hope you're now going to go do something like fun. I understand you said you're Fun time was abortion and study, and but go get an ice cream cone or something. <laughs> <laughs> Good people, this is Common Conversations. This is Gelly Gel and Missy, and we're going to see you on the next podcast. You can listen to this uh, anywhere that you listen to your podcast. So Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon. Um, and if they cut us off because I say bad words, it's not my fault, it's yours. Uh, I'll talk to you later. Bye, friends. Bye.